There's a popular old hymn that is sung in some churches every Sunday. It's, it's called the Solid Rock. The chorus goes like this. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. It's a wonderful hymn. It's paying tribute to uh, the, the conclusion, the application to the greatest sermon that's ever been given, the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus spoke for 20 to 30 minutes there on the Sermon on the Mount, he's bringing this to a climax, to a conclusion, to an application. And in that, Jesus is going to say there's two types of people. There are wise men and foolish men. And he's going to describe the two by, in contrast to each other, he's going to say the wise man, he builds his house upon a rock. The foundation is a rock. And when the rains come down and the rivers come up and the wind blows against this house, it stands strong. In contrast to that, he says the foolish man, he builds his house on sand. That's his foundation. And then when that same storm comes in and the rain comes down and the river comes up and the wind blows against it, it's knocked down. His whole life is in ruin, is the point. And so he's like these, there's rock and there's sand. Then he makes the application crystal clear. In summary, verse uh, 7, or chapter, 20, chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. He's like the wise man. He's the wise man who builds his house on the rock. Then later, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, it's the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. So clearly, the critical di difference is not what you hear or what you take notes on or what you've memorized. It is what you do. It is applying the truth. And so Jesus defines wisdom right here as truth applied to life. Truth applied to life. Now, James, in our study today, in James chapter 3, James is going to talk about wisdom. He's heard this sermon, and you can tell it's rattling around in him, and he's going to compare and contrast wise life choices and foolish. And he's going to call this not foolish, but he's going to say it's a, another a so-called wisdom. But he's going to compare sandcastles, sandcastle lives, and rock lives. The, the outline, uh, he's made it crystal clear what he's doing. He's going to start deductively. He's going to say this is what wisdom looks like in your life. Then he's going to show what false wisdom looks like, and he's going to describe that in like what motivates us when we're living with that false, the attributes of those, the, the source of that false wisdom, and then finally the effects of that wisdom. He's going to come over here and he's going to say, okay, this is what true wisdom looks like. This is from heaven. And he's going to use a very similar outline to that that he used before. So here we go. His big thesis in the first sentence, chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good works. By their, I'm sorry, let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. This is classic James. We're into this for a while. He's a coach. He's coming right at us. He says, this is his style. This is his temperament. You say you've got wisdom, understanding? Show me. Let's see it. 
I want to see something here. You know, this is, this, is a, this is a command. This is classic, by the way, in the, not just in his temperament, but this is the definition, Old Testament and clarified in the Newer Testament, that wisdom is the application of knowledge. It, 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 it's, it's, it's knowledge brought to life. It's not GPA smart where you're able to recite or memorize and put down on a sheet of paper. It's life smart. And so James is saying, show me a good life. And in the Greek, the, the word for good there had a couple choices. I think it's interesting, the one he chooses. There's, there's good, just morally good, kind of a simple de- definition. But he chooses to use this other word for good, and that word is, includes moral goodness, but the word could also be translated beautiful. Show me a beautiful life. Show me like something like that expresses symmetry and, and balance. It's one of the hardest, that's the hardest life to live, right? The, the balanced life. Show me something that's, that's lovely, that's attractive. God loves beauty. He makes things beautiful. Show me a beautiful life. That's a person, oh, excuse me, that's a person that's living in wisdom. Remember that. God loves beauty. He makes things beautiful. We'll need that later. And then he says, show me a life filled with deeds done with humility. Show me a life that is helping other people, that's facing out to other people and caring for them without drawing attention to yourself. In summary, show me a beautiful life, this is the summary, filled with good deeds done in quiet. So there's that definition of this heavenly wisdom. Now he's going to dramatically change subjects, and he's going to show, okay, what is like the other kind of wisdom look like? What is this fake wisdom? What does building life in the sand uh, show itself to be? Verses 14 through 16. But if you honor, but, but if you harbor, harbor, okay, bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast or deny the truth. Such, quote, wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is worldly and natural and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you're going to find disorder and every evil practice. Now, the key to understanding this section about people building their lives on a sand is this idea of harboring, harboring in your heart, as opposed to uh, struggling with self, selfish ambition and envy, where it's a battle inside of you. It's, it's, more, it's more like uh, another translation says fostering that, that bitter envy. It's, it's nurturing it instead of repenting of it. Right? It's not confessing it, it's feeding it. He's, he's kind of making a concoction here over the stove. He's add selfish ambition and bitter envy and then let it simmer in your heart. Let it fill your life with the aroma of death. The, the motives that he's talking about here, the first one he says is bitter envy. Not just envy, let's add bitterness to that. It's a descriptive word that is pointed, sharp, prickly. It's envy with ragweed on it. And envy itself, I think we all know what envy and jealousy is. It's not just when you have nothing and want something. It's when you, you can have everything and talents and gifts, stuff, but you want their stuff. You want somebody else's attention or reputation. I covet someone else's life. Usually shows itself in bitterness 
uh, suspicion, rivalry, those sorts of things make their way out. So there's bitter envy. The other thing that, that we're percolating on is selfish ambition. That's me getting personal gratification, and usually it's expensive, but I'm willing to pay, and I'm willing to let other people pay. People, people are a means to me climbing this ladder of ambition, selfish ambition. And so if you can imagine motive like being the fuel this heart runs on, this, this heart that's foolish, it's running on bitter envy and selfish ambition. It's going to not just compete to win, but to beat someone else. I've got to conquer these other people. Or, and also it shows itself in not waiting on the Lord to open a door because I'm so ambitious. I will knock that door down. I'll do whatever it takes. I'm going to do this. So now James is going to make a list of, of a couple of, of uh, attributes of, of this kind of foolishness, and it's going to show up, of course it will, and it shows up as showing uh, boastful and denying the truth. This, this kind of boasting is in the context of arrogance where you've crossed a moral line and you, you, you don't apologize for it. You say, well, everybody else is doing it. It wasn't that bad. And then when he talks about denying the truth, it's, it's when you step on the other side of, of goodness, when you're doing something that clearly is outside the boundaries of the moral parameters that the Bible clearly says, and you say things like, well, the ends justify the means. We do this at work when we say, but look at our profit margin. We do it in church when we say, look at all the ministry that takes place. Not uncommon. So he wants us to picture a, a person maybe ourselves here, and, and that's the way he's writing this. He wants us to be looking at these lists and, like, scoring ourselves. Which life reflects ours, this foolish life or this wise life? But if we're running on arrogance and envy, then things that are right and real and true in the Bible, we're going to figure out some way to say, that do doesn't really apply to me. I'm going to work my way around this. Other people, you bet. So I just want to remind you that this chapter, this book is written to us. It's written to the church. This section isn't like an us and them, those people out there. It's us and us. He's asking us to think about what's running my life. What's my fuel? Look at the clues, he's saying. Is it jealousy? Is it you know, envy? Is it, is it like just trying to like... I'm figuring out a way so I can be seen, that I can be noticed, that I can like, work my way into a spotlight. If, that, if that's, he's saying, look, don't, con don't let that simmer. <laughs> Confess that. Don't, don't harbor those sorts of emotions and motives. Reject them. Change fuels. He wants us to know that this type of wisdom that we're talking about, is not from heaven. He's going to give us the sources. Verse 15 says, now this such wisdom, some versions say this type, this so-called wisdom, does not come down from heaven, but is worldly and natural and demonic. Worldly, natural, and demonic. And I, the reason I keep referring to this as, as, as a false wisdom is because he does right here. It's this, in quotes, so-called wisdom. What Jesus said was a foolish way of living life. He's calling it a, a, a sand-type wisdom. 
And he's going to say, James is saying, the fight for our souls, there's a war that's going on for our souls. And we're fighting it on three fronts. And Jesus said that, James says that, you'll see later on in your Bibles, if you keep reading in, in the book of John, in one of the Johns, uh, it, he'll say that the war on three fronts is the world around us, right? the, the, our own sinful flesh within us, and then the devil or hell beneath us. So let me explain those quickly. This worldly wisdom that we're talking about is the, the world around us is the is, is the trillions and trillions of dollars spent that is to, ca- to campaign for us to believe that all that there is in life is physical and then it's over. And then in that world, we should be the center of that world. So we are regularly getting programs sent to us that say, do your own thing have your own way. It's all about you. Get all you can. That's the worldly system, the world wisdom. This is all there is to life. Now, the second source of this type of wisdom is our own nature. He says it's natural. Some passages will say the flesh. That's, the point of that is, is like the, the mammal part of us, the animal, is, is sensual. It wants to avoid pain and pursue pleasure whatever it costs. It is, it is the dirt that we're made from crying out saying, I want to be in charge of the way you think and what your values are. So feelings and desires and appetites, impulses, if it feels good, I want it. This is independent of any kind of world influence. We can do this all by ourselves. This is the part of us that says, I demand or I expect to be admired and comfortable. And then finally, he says, not just the world and, and, and nature, our own nature, natural selves, but also it's demonic. It has demonic uh, sources. Could I just remind you that the very first temptation from the devil to mankind was about a false kind of wisdom. It was based on a lie, but it, it, Satan says, uh, if you just take this and eat and your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, and you'll be able to know, know, we'll have the wisdom to know good from evil. He's advertising a false wisdom. And it's no wonder the effects of this kind of life and this kind of motivation show up in verse 16. And wherever you have this envy and selfish ambition, that's the fuel you're running on, there will be, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. Disorder in every evil practice, disorder, chaos, right? Confusion, antagonism, uh, division. It's the opposite of unity and synchronicity. And let me put it another way. The the devil loves chaos. Screwtape Letters, uh, it's a book by C.S. Lewis. He's talking about the devil and God goes back and forth. And and he says, you know, God makes music and Satan makes noise. God makes music and Satan makes noise. So when, when you see yourself or a person that's running on these sorts of evil motives, they enter, they enter a room and it changes the nature of that room. There's two applications for this first section. 
about false wisdom leading a, a false life, a castle in the sand sort of thing. One's personal and one's kind of corporate. And the, the personal one is when, when we're all about ego and, and ambition and it's all about getting ahead and I've read all these management books on how I can get, get there faster than anybody else and I'm running on my own lusts. It says chaos and disorder and evil are going to enter into every relationship I have. I mean, like, we've all been part of this. We either did it or we've added, seen it done uh, in school projects, work projects, uh, a, a team, a swim team that you might have been part of, right? PTA, a neighborhood association, your own family dinner, right? Somebody walks in that's getting their wisdom from the world, their own ego, or from hell itself, and boom. Like all the envy is, is just blowing everything up. And the swim team, it isn't a team anymore. And PTA can't get anything done, and no one wants to be part of it anymore. The family devotion or the family meal or family vacation, gone. Boom. I've done this. <laughs> I bring this into my house. And, and God's saying, look, like God makes music. The devil makes noise. James says, what do you make? What do you make? If you're wondering what fuel you're running on, look at the effects of what happens when you enter a room. What happens when you enter a conversation? What, what happens around you? He's saying, if your house is built on this sand, repent. The tide's coming in. You're running out of time. The second application isn't personal. This is like corporate because I've seen this over the years. It's when people, this idea of running on these fuels of, uh, of, of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition it's, it's this. It's the, it's the idea that, like, you remember it says the world, ego, and, and Satan. Like, that happens in the church. I mean, I'm not going to, like, hear so much. Like, the whole American evangelical mob, right? The Christian herd, Kierkegaard, the Christian herd. This is the application for the Christian herd, right? Stop making stupid people famous <laughs> in the church. Yeah, Right? Like, you guys know what I'm talking Some of you are clapping. Stop making stupid people the famous people in the church. It is, it's crazy. It is crazy, like, the, what the movements that are started in America, the men or the women that are leading them, and, and, like, we're supposed to follow that. You should preach like this guy. You should have a church like this church. And I, you're like, what? Look what's happening. It's like these people... And these movements are like going through this paragraph, checking the boxes to see if they're getting them all right when those are all the wrong attributes to have. I mean, let me, let me give you an example that's kind of famous now is the, there's a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's referring to the church called Mars Hill in Seattle, Washington. And it was built on the ego of the pastor named Mark Driscoll. And and what's interesting about the, the, the movement is, it, uh, some of you probably know, you've listened to the multiple uh, episodes of the podcast, but when that movement was happening, 
There was a lot of push to become like Mark. And like what? Oh, he's so passionate. That's not passion. That's pride. Oh, but look at the size of the church and all the churches they're starting. And I just want you to see that, that he was obviously just gaining followers. <laughs> and, and his like sins or whatever, his list, they weren't in secret. He wasn't checking these boxes in secret. They were proudly broadcasting these values out there. I'm just going to run through the list here that's in James chapter 3. Motive, selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. He was famously selling his brand, his name, and bullied anyone who got in his way, even elders, firing elders on Sunday morning, stepping over them, rungs on a ladder, boasting, boasting about being a best-selling author. Never mind that uh, they were plagiarized books, uh, books with a lot of plagiarism, and he paid a company to buy up all the books so that he would be a best-selling author. And people knew this. Denying the truth. Every time there was like an abuse of power and his bullying of staff or anyone else, the answer was, but, but look at all the ministry that's happening. Look at all the lives that are changed. Well, let's just talk about right and wrong. No, let's talk about results. We're Americans. Such wisdom. Do you think it came from heaven or do you think it came from the world, the Christian herd and his own ego and the devil himself? If you don't think any of that's true, then look at the effects. What happened? <laughs> Chaos and division. Campus is sold. People, you know, lost their jobs. And it's publicized in newspapers across the country. <laughs> and here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to make this like I'm, I'm going to build a thing around this isolated incident. This happens regularly. The Christian herd, it's like this promotion. I wish it was isolated, but it's part of this, like, this group think of, of like some ch- churches in on the East Coast or on the West Coast or in Dallas or, or Nashville or two in Chicago. Be like these people. And you look at this list and you say, what? You're going through the wrong paragraph in James chapter 3. <laughs> James... In chapter 3, remember verse 1 starts, not all of you should be teachers. And he ultimately says, because your egos can't handle it. James says in this section, he says, would you stop making stupid people famous in the church? (laughs) So it's a real thing. Can we change subjects, please? Yes, we can. Okay, let's go on to the next paragraph. Sometimes there's a paragraph break here. Now he's going to talk about the right kind of wisdom, the wisdom that's heavenly, okay? He's building, it's like true wisdom built on a rock. 17 and 18 says, but wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. There's the motive. Then it's peace-loving and considerate, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. Let's just run through this list uh, rather quickly, if you don't mind. Let's look in our own minds. Like, let's check these boxes and see if they reflect our hearts. First thing he does is like he did with the false uh, sandcastle wisdom is he's going to talk about true wisdom, what's motivating us, just like he did before. He says, first is pure. Is it, the, what is first is wisdom that comes from heaven is first all pure. I'm sorry, that was the word. First all pure. He puts it first not because he's making a list, 
but because it is, it is the most important. And he's separating it from the other what are called attributes, but he's saying this is the motive. This is the fuel that you run on. Another word for pure, all pure, would be our word holiness. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a person who's dedicated to cleansing their soul of contaminants, of defilement. It's a person that says, like, I'm going to not, as opposed to like selfish ambition and jealousy turning in, I'm going to turn out and look for ministry opportunities. I'm a person that's going to be, you know, become like Christ in all of life. And, and like Jesus said, blessed are those who are pure in heart. These, this list of, of attributes are very similar to the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. A person that runs on purity, they're, that's their dedication. They're going like, to have a clearer vision of who God is. They're going to hear God's voice and be directed courageously to follow him. Now he's going to have a list of seven attributes. Now we know what's motivating us. The first one is peace-loving, peace-loving. And it's not peace-loving at the expense of truth. It's the idea of inner tranquility. It's the idea of like a calmness, no matter what the storms of life bring us. And it's somewhat in contrast to the chaos that goes on in the sandcastle lives. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the sons of God. When they, open, when they enter a room, things calm down. The next word he uses to describe this kind of wisdom is considerate. It's a very difficult word to translate. Kind of doesn't make it to English well. So you'll see other translations say equitable, fair, uh, courteous, courteous. One scholar said, here's a great way to look at it. It especially shows itself when you have authority over someone else. When you have authority over someone else at work, you're the boss. Whatever. Yeah, at home, you're the parent. At work, just like you're the big brother. And so you have, you, you have the power to do something. And in the context of having authority over someone, you're attacked or accused by a subordinate. A considerate person is patient. A, a considerate person like submits to the mistreatment and the dishonor. A considered person doesn't use the power they have, but rather yields that power. Uh, one example that was used was is, is the idea like it's yielding the right of way when you have the right of way. So you could practice this in the parking lot. <laughs> See how you do on, on, on considerate. The next attribute, the third one is reasonable. That's, a, that's easy. That's teachable. That shows itself a lot of times when you're under someone, when you're the subordinate and your boss or your parent or your big brother says, wow, you are easy to convince as opposed to stubborn or proud or stuck. It, it, it just means that you're open to new ideas and to change. The next section there, it says, full of mercy and good fruit. Of course, those are married together. Mercy, you know, compassion and love and concern. It's going to show itself in running into other people and showing that concern. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are merciful, for you will be shown mercy. What is uh, worth noting in this word is mercy in the first century was a great virtue to be expressed towards people that were victims of a circumstance beyond their control. So someone's 
house was burned or they lost their job. And so regular, everyday people said, I want to show mercy. In the New Testament, that word shows up towards people that are true victims, but also for people that have self-inflicted wounds. And, and the, the, the good fruit that shows up towards people that are victims, that fruit is going to be different than people that are self-inflicted, but it's still mercy that's given towards them throughout the New Testament. And I think that one of the reasons we, we can understand why that shows up in the New Testament is because we know that you know, people with hurts, hang-ups, and bad habits are us. <laughs> I mean, we can say that, that, that phrase or figure of speech, except for the grace of God, there go I, like, and mean it. I mean, we, we're not going to be judgmental towards people that are in a, some kind of 12-step recovery because everybody ought to be in some kind of 12-step recovery. I mean, if you don't think you should be in a 12-step recovery, you should probably be in one for pride. It's, it's just different things that we're having to fight every morning when we wake up. And so mercy in the New Testament says, I could see how that could be me, and I'm going to sh- not judge, but I'm going I'm to show good fruit in that way. The next word is unwavering. That word means consistent. It, it, it means like constant and predictable. So, like, it, it shows itself up, it shows itself in ethical situations where uh, a person has, is making a, a decision on, for someone, and you know they're going to be consistent, they're going to be unwavering, they're going to be predictable, no matter the gender of the person, or the race, or the education, or the financial status, because that person, all souls are equal. Okay, that's true wisdom, when all souls are equal. Another way unwavering shows itself in the vocabulary of Grace Covenant Church, if you haven't heard these phrases or words, you need to. Uh, there's opinion, belief, and convictions. There's three categories of where truths fall. And a person that's unwavering knows that you can't have too many convictions, but the convictions you have, you're going to have a predictable, reliable, consistent response. And then with opinions and beliefs, or beliefs uh, and opinions, you're going to be open-handed towards that. You're going to respect other people's opinions and beliefs because they're not convictions and they're not worth debating or fighting over. His last attribute of, of true wisdom, a life built on a rock, is to be without hypocrisy. And I'll bet a lot of you know that that word hypocrisy comes from the Greek theater when a limited number of actors are having to play multiple parts, and so they would just wear a mask when they're playing that particular person. And it became known as a person, a hypocrite is a person just wearing a mask. So I've got this church mask where I'm looking pretty good, and then I've got a work mask where I'm looking like the boss. And then I've got a family mask, whatever that looks like. He, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus condemns the mask wearer hypocrite four separate times. Lastly, what is the effects of a person that's built their life on this rock, on heavenly wisdom? He says in verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The effect is a righteous peace. The wisdom of the world, of our own flesh, of hell itself, chaos. The wisdom that comes from heaven, it's going to bring back a harvest of, of righteousness and peace. The harmony, uh, the harmony with God, the harmony with our fellow man, the harmony within our own souls. That's what happens when we're building our life on the wisdom of 
from God. And wisdom means doing it, right? And so James is coming right at us and saying, you know, which one are you living your life on? If you're not sure, if you're not sure the fuel that you're running on, just walk into a room. What happens? Does chaos ensue or does peace and harmony break out? Are you a peacemaker that brings mercy and good gifts? When you plant the seed of peace, are you harvesting righteousness? You should. If that's not showing up in the effects, then you're probably living over here. A life where when you insert yourself into relationships, Melinda and I have this thing we, we do. It's weird, okay? But uh, uh, we, we talk to ourselves, but in the past. So we'll say, like, what would you say to 16-year-old Matt? And I think she asked me that all the time because we knew each other, of each other when we were 16. And I think she wanted me to say, how are you doing? <laughs> <clears throat> and it was uh, four, seven, eight years later, we're actually said, how are you doing? So she was like, now? Now what do you say? What 16-year-old Matt say now? The, the point of this is this. I'm, I'm going to talk to you as someone who's getting AARP junk mail. <laughs> that this passage of Scripture, I would pay $10,000 for if I were 20. If I could go back and say, hey, 20-year-old Matt, it's going to cost you 10 grand, but memorize this passage of Scripture, I would pay that. If you're a young man or a young woman, I want to I want, I speak to you as someone with a lot of regrets that I didn't know, know this passage, that I found out what it meant in my early 40s, and there were a lot of years with a lot of particular circumstances where I was living off of motives and expectations that were foolish. And I would, I would come home from work, and I didn't know what was happening, but I was, I, I was playing, I was wearing the mask as a good, humble pastor. But when I pulled in the driveway, I, I was festering, and simmering expectations that weren't realized. I didn't get the respect maybe that I felt like I deserved or the appreciation. Or sometimes I was just tired and deserved to be rewarded when I walked in the house. There were there was way too many years in there where I was looking over my shoulder and watching my friends that I tutored through high school and college just lapping me on the world racetrack of success. And I was resentful. Oh, I'm sorry, bitter envy, not just envious. And so I could come into that room where Melinda had worked for hours on peace and just light it up in a second. what What was harmonious around a meal, I could make into chaos. I could see my own family being nervous. Don't make him mad. Don't set him off. And if I could go back in time, I would do this. I'd pull in the driveway, and I'd have a happy hour. And my happy hour would be looking at this paragraph 
in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and I'd ask myself, what are you living for? What is running in your soul? What fuel do you run on? It's foolish, and the tide's coming in. You're about to walk into that house, and you're going to change it. Are you going to change it into chaos where all evil is taking place? Or are you going to walk in there and be a peacemaker and a peace giver? Are you going to turn out and love each one of those souls individually? Or are you going to say, I didn't get mine today? If I had a DeLorean, there was a time travel machine. I'd bring one of you with me. I'm just telling you. This is the kind of wisdom you want to live with. This is the kind of wisdom you want to build your life around. Is it any wonder? And now we know. Why James said in chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you wants wisdom, like the real wisdom, what does he say? Just ask God, because if you ask him, he's going to give it generously without finding fault, and he'll give it to you. That's what the promise says. If any of you ask, ask, lacks wisdom, just ask God the Father, and he will give it generously without even bringing attention to you asking, and then he's going to give it. That's the way to live your life. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Can't do a thing about last week, but I can do something about today and tomorrow. Why don't you join me in a word of prayer? Let's ask for some wisdom. Let's build our house on a rock. Lord, I want the fruit of my garden to be life, not death. I want it to be sweet, not bitter. I want my life to glorify you. I want angels talking about me, about what you've done in my life. I want wisdom, wisdom from heaven. I've got plenty of wisdom from the ego and the world and the devil himself. I listen way too close to that. Lord, I'd ask that you would cause my life to be beautiful. A beautiful life of balance and harmony. That's pure. First of all, pure and holy. Peaceable. Gentle. Teachable. Full of mercy and good fruits. Unwavering in things that are true and right and real without duplicity or hypocrisy. God, make me like Christ in all of my life. I, I beg you, Lord, give me that wisdom. Or I, I pray that for my church. I pray that for grace. That we would glorify you in all that we say and do, but in the way that we run this engine of our lives on this purity and this holiness. And that would reflect in all manners of our lives. We pray that in gratitude, we ask in thankfulness that today is a new day. 
And the rest of our lives is a gift back to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.